You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians radio network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians. Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. The hot stove heating up with the winter meetings having come and gone. And we will check in with Jordan Bastion, the Indians beat reporter on Indians and MLB.com. He was down in Orlando, Florida for the winter meetings. He'll have the very latest with a lot of player moves now taking place, impacting the tribe in the bullpen and also in that first base DH scenario. We'll keep you up to date on that as we get moving along on our show today. Also, we'll visit with Sheldon Oker, the 33-year beat reporter for the Indians with the Akron Beacon Journal. He's going into the Hall of Fame this summer in Cooperstown, the J.G. Spink Award for Writing Excellence. Sheldon Oker going into the Hall of Fame. Some great stories from him, so stay tuned for that. And also, we'll continue with our Game of the Week segment Take a look at one of the great games this season from Trevor Bauer that came against Oakland in late May. That's all coming your way shortly as we get rolling with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. In an annual tradition, we check in with Jordan Bastion, the Indians beat reporter for MLB and Indians.com. He was at the winter meetings down in Orlando, Florida, at Walt Disney World. And, Jordan, uh, it seems like maybe we say this each year, that it seems like there's less and less major breaking news actually at the winter meetings. Uh, Same hold true this season? Yeah, I mean, the whole industry is sort of held up at the moment. I mean, you're starting to see some stuff come down now. I mean, there was a lot of speculation that the Otani and Giancarlo Stanton situations were kind of delaying the rest of the market. Uh, those came to fruition, you know, right before and right at the start of the winter meetings. Then you started to see uh, sort of that glut of relievers that were still on the board start to sign uh, one after the other. It, sometimes it always, sometimes it takes just that first domino, those first couple dominoes to fall, you know, especially for agents who want to see comparatively, uh, you know, what one guy is going to get and what that might mean for their client. You know, so I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Um, and the reality is that the winter meetings is a great place to expedite talks, to, to sort of move things along in a face-to-face environment. But in this age of, uh, you know, texting and, you know, everything else, 
with technology. I mean, you don't need to be in the same room uh, to make a deal. Chris Antonetti actually told us that the the times that he has actually stood up in a room face-to-face with another GM and sh- and shook hands and said, deal. So that's, that's just not how it works. And uh, Mike Chernoff, the GM of the Indians, actually said that they've done entire negotiations on trades or free agency. There have been instances where it's all been done via text. You know, so they don't need to be in the same room. Um, and kind of the history, recent history especially, of the Indians shows that the winter meetings is a place to sort of lay groundwork, and then you see a lot of things happen in the in the following weeks. Edwin and Carnacion's signing happened after the winter meetings. The huge trade uh, that brought Trevor Bauer, that three-team uh, multiple-player trade several years ago, that was shortly after the winter meetings. Uh, you know, people don't look at this signing that fondly, but at the time it was a big deal. Nick Swisher, that happened not that long after the winter meetings. So that's sort of the history with the Indians and this year seems, like I said, industry-wide kind of seems to be the case right now. And this week, when you look at key players that were a big part of the Indians in 2017, uh, they've all gone the opposite direction, not coming to Cleveland. Uh, key free right. agents, Joe Smith, Brian Shaw, and uh, just on Friday, Carlos Santana, all going elsewhere. Surprised at, at some of the contracts that especially the relievers are getting? Yeah, I mean, you got to think when Andrew Miller and Cody Allen are kind of surveying this marketplace right now, they're both eligible for free agency next winter. And you've got guys like Anthony Swarzak and Tommy Hunter and now Brian Shaw earning annual salaries in the neighborhood of what Allen and Miller are getting. You know, so they're sitting pretty now looking at what their potential financial future could be. You know, it's not surprising to see the the demand for these guys, but some of these salaries – are kind of catching you off guard. I mean, Indians fans remember the name Swarzak and Hunter as sort of guys who came and went in the Indians' bullpen and weren't, weren't that effective. Now all of a sudden they've positioned themselves uh, to get these lucrative deals. And, you know, Brian Shaw, you know, fans had sort of a love-hate relationship with him. But, I mean, the guy pitched almost 400 games over a five-year span, proved to be durable, earned a contract as a six-year free agent, but now he's going to be making the same salary as an Andrew Miller. So I think it wasn't realistic, uh, you know, even when free agency began to to expect Shaw to re-sign with the Indians or even for Joe Smith, who I think got $14 million, uh over two years. So that's a guy that, you know, also priced out of the Indians' range. And, you know, the Indians, in with the raises through arbitration, with the guys that have guaranteed contracts in place, their payroll before even adding anyone this winter is going to be right in the neighborhood of where it ended last year. So it, the payroll is going to go up. It's not that they have zero wiggle room. They are going to add salary. Um, but if they wanted to make a big splash with one of these guys, you, know, you might have to talk about you know, freeing up some salary. And that's where you know, trade rumors for someone like Jason Kipnis comes into play. So in closing, with, with Santana on the move, two spots opening up in the bullpen, uh, what do you see happening here uh, the next couple of months before spring, spring training begins? to try and fill first base DH, maybe it's internally, maybe it's a trade, I guess, and and then also bullpen-wise. Yeah, I mean, they've got to do something. Now, I will say they have a good team. The rotation's intact. It's the backbone of the team. And if you look at, you know, some people like to look at the Vegas odds. You know, it's whatever you want to make of those. But the Indians, I believe, are still rated second best, second best odds of winning the World Series. So even with the situation that they're in, some guys leaving this team is still very highly thought of 
And when you look at how wide the gap was between second place and the American League Central last year, even with these losses, they look like a team that is primed to, to win the division again. You know, I'm not sure I look at the other teams in the division and see anyone that's closed the gap on them. You've got a bunch of teams that are looking to rebuild, and you've got the Twins who, you know, maybe might be on the rise, but I haven't seen moves that they've made this winter really closing that that huge gap to the division crown. So I think the Indians are looking at this winter as they have the internal pieces in place to contend for the division. They'd like to add to it. Terry Francona says if Santana didn't return, and now reports are that he's not returning, you know, they'd like to sign a first baseman. Otherwise, the internal option would potentially be moving Michael Brantley to first, which he hasn't played since the minor leagues. That's where the chain reaction starts coming into play of maybe Kipnis plays left. Or, you know, if Kipnis is at second and then Brantley's in left, then who's at first and what's on second and I don't know who's on third. Um, you know, there's a whole domino effect there. But I think they need to add somebody for first base. They've got to add some bullpen depth. I mean, they have the big guys. They have Allen and Miller. They have some other guys coming back in Dan Otero and McAllister and a guy like Nick Goody who really impressed last year and Tyler Olson who really impressed last year. But they need a little more depth behind that. Um, so maybe you're looking at not the big ticket guys, maybe some of those mid-tier guys. So there's still work to be done. And I also think that you know if something is too expensive uh, this winter, this is a team that has shown over the last few years uh, a willingness to be active and proactive at the trade deadline, whether it's the July trade deadline or the August trade deadline. We saw Andrew Miller come a couple years ago, saw Jay Bruce come last year when the asking price wasn't nearly as high as it would have been in a free agent setting. Hmm. A lot going on, that's for sure. Yeah. Jordan Bashton coming out of the winter meetings. Most importantly, you have kids at home. The winter meetings are at Disney. Did you come home with some extra things in your suitcase? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I might have. You know, I don't want to disclose anything. Uh, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town still. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was funny to go to Disney World and check into the hotel, and they're trying to set me up with a magic band. They're telling me to have a magical day, and I'm like, hey, you can cut the act. Like, I'm not, I'm not here on vacation. I'm here for the baseball thing. You know, and, you know, it's uh, it was funny at one point when I, I asked, I said, can I just get a normal room key? I don't need to wear a Mickey watch. You know, and the guy, like, looked extremely, like, disheartened and disappointed. Like, I just really let him down. And I'm like, hey, I don't want my kids with me. What do you want me to do? I just need a key. You know, so that was interesting. Um, you know, going to Disney World is uh, always an experience. It's even more of an experience when it's hundreds and hundreds of baseball executives and reporters crammed into a hotel room for four days. A unique sight to be sure for this year's baseball winter meetings. Jordan, thanks so much for the insight. Have a great holiday. We'll catch you after the new year. All right. Anytime, Rosie. Jordan Bastion. MLB and Indians.com beat reporter. Stay tuned. More to come as we continue at Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Coming up in the month of January, we will learn whether Jim Tomey makes the Baseball Hall of Fame on the first ballot, along with Omar Vizquel, two Indians greats on the ballot for the first time. So they are up for election into the storied Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Earlier this week at the Baseball Winter Meetings, an outstanding writer for more than 33 years on the Indians beat for the Akron Beacon Journal, Sheldon Oker, 
was named to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and he will be there in July for the induction ceremonies as he won the J.G. Spink Award for writing excellence each year, a writer from the world of baseball is inducted in, and he will go into the that broadcaster's media wing come July. So just a great honor for a longtime member of the Indians beat. He is now retired as uh, he wrote his last story in 2013. But we had a, a chance to catch up with Sheldon earlier this week, and he talked about whether or not he was surprised that this time around, on the ballot, he was selected to Baseball's Hall of Fame. Well, this is the first time I made the uh, top three. Uh, I've been nominated once or twice before, but I <clears throat> got swept away with the rest of the trash real early. And uh, but th- this this time I made the top three. I was kind of surprised because uh, that hadn't happened before. And then uh, I saw the other two guys that uh, uh, were in the top three. One one uh, Pat Royce, who's a columnist in Minneapolis, and uh, Jim Reeves, who. I think he's retired now. He was a columnist in Fort Worth. Uh, you know, they were very qualified uh, candidates, and I figured, well, at least, I, you know, I can't be lower than third. So that's not too bad, right? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, what do you think um, set you apart, maybe not from, from those two uh, deserving candidates, but just allowed you to get to this point and, and eventually be selected as this year's honoree? Well, I, you know, being old helps. <laughs> it's... It's hard for a 30-year-old guy to to do it. Uh, but I did it for such a long time, and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, people who are in the business know that uh, there aren't there aren't too many people who who stick with this that long for one reason or another. So I think that probably helped longevity, and I think they uh, some I think they in fact somebody told me that they thought. Um, People, some people preferred to vote for a beat writer rather than a columnist, but I don't really know. Uh, uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm sitting here every day and minding my own business, and I get a call that I want. So uh, I feel very honored to have the uh, my peers uh, give me this kind of a endorsement. So uh, I'm going to take full advantage and. And when I take the trash out on Thursday nights, I'm going <clears> to <throat> yell at the other, my neighbors, that there's a Hall of Famer putting a trash out tonight. They really should should maybe pitch in and help you out in that regard, huh? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I know my wife's not going to do it. <laughs> now, uh, for fans who don't know, you had been the Cavaliers beat writer and then switched in, in 1981 Right. Uh, why the switch, and and was it something that you wanted to do, or were you told, hey, this Indians beat's open, and, and you need to take that? Well, you don't really, uh, you don't want to really force anybody to do that kind of a beat because uh, if they don't want to do it, it's it, they're not going to do a very good job, and you soon have to look for somebody else anyway. Uh, I had. Uh, been on the Indians beat for three months in 1970. Uh, just not to road for going to road games. And so I knew what it was about. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know. I just figured uh, I've always liked, I, I mean, I like all sports, but I probably like baseball a little better. And uh, I just thought, well, this would be nice, and I'll 
you're kind of free in the winters and uh, 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 I have a, have that time off. So I thought I'd try it. And, uh, you know, I went to work the first day and the second day and the third day. And I kind of le- uh, stopped 33 years later. It's kind of the way it worked. So you take over this beat after working the NBA beat, which um, certainly is, is challenging from a travel standpoint. But what were some of the, even though you had a, a vague familiarity of, of what baseball was all about, uh, what were some of the biggest challenges maybe that first year compared to what you had been doing with the Cavaliers? Well, the, anytime, you go on a, <clears throat> anytime you go on a pro beat and you haven't done it before, you have to establish some kind of credibility with uh, front office people, with your uh, coaches, if it's basketball or football, or your manager in baseball, and the players, because uh, they see somebody new coming in, and they figure, well, this guy doesn't know much, and uh, he's never, he hasn't done it before, and uh, we'll see what kind of stupid questions he asks. And you, know, you kind of have to prove yourself, and it takes a little while to do that. Uh, and it's it's more difficult if uh, you work for a small paper that doesn't go on the road and you're only doing the home games. Uh, but fortunately, I I, uh, I did them all. And uh, it took still it took a little while to uh, to uh, show people that that I knew what I was talking about and uh, that I understood uh, the game. You mentioned the rapport with, with coaches and managers. And something that that I noticed my, my first couple of years on the job, and, and there were a couple of different managers, Eric Wedge first and then Manny Acta, and then I, I think it was your last year was Terry Francona's first year. The, the pregame uh, press conference that the managers have with the writers, they always look to you to make sure that everyone else was done asking questions and that it was okay to be finished. How did how did you achieve that status as the guy who could say, all right, I think we're done here? Well, I just did it. I, uh, I don't like a lot of dead air. And if somebody doesn't ask a question, and we've been asking questions for, you know, five, six minutes, and and I, I don't hear anybody say anything, I said, well, thanks, Terry. It just started that way, and... And uh, it just kind of developed that I was the person that ended it. Uh, there wasn't anything official or the fact that I was there the longest or anything. It's just that uh, that I, I don't like a lot of dead air. And if I hear dead air, I'm going to say, you know, goodbye. Let's do something else. Time to do, time to do other work. Well, Sheldon, when when you do this as long as you have it at, at the level you have, we could probably do three shows with you. <laughs> but uh, but hey, congratulations! Uh, what a great honor, and uh, certainly a, it should be a fun weekend in Cooperstown. Who knows? You might have some company over there in terms of uh, folks from Cleveland if things work out the way it, it yeah, appears player-wise. But uh, <clears throat> congratulations on on uh, being named the J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner for this season. Thanks, Rosie. Good talk to you. That is Sheldon Oker, the former writer for the Akron Beacon Journal. A great sense of humor from Sheldon and a lot of years on the Indians beat 33 in total. And uh, he's going into the Hall of Fame in July in Cooperstown. Stay tuned. We have more to come as Tribe Talk continues after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network.
Welcome back to Tribe Talk. And as we get closer uh, to Christmas, and it certainly is the height of the holiday season now, if you are still looking for that great holiday gift for a Tribe fan, a gift that will keep on giving throughout next season, certainly tickets are a great way to go. And we're joined by Tim Salser, the Indians Vice President of Sales and Service. And uh, Tim, now, why don't we start season tickets? Uh, because of the success of the team the last couple of seasons, uh, you are reaching some heights here that haven't been seen for quite some time season ticket-wise. And, and how well has it gone here really since uh, 2015 and on into 16? Hi, Jim. Great to see you. Thanks very much for having me. Um, it has been a very exciting time on the season ticket holder front. We often get asked the question, do things slow down in the business side of baseball during the off season? And the answer to that question is no. You know, we're working for our fans to continue to build the season ticket holder base. We've eclipsed now 13,000 season ticket holders, which is very exciting. The first time we've done that since 2008. Um, we're continuing to grow our business, and, um, and it's great to see fans really engaged with the, with the team and coming back year over year, as well as a lot of new season ticket holders that have joined us. Since 2016, we've increased our season ticket holder business by 50%, which is exciting. And best of all, heading into 2018, we're already ahead of where we were in 2017. And um, we have obviously a few months to go until opening day, uh, believe it or not, with the cold weather out there. But the, still plenty of time to add more season ticket holders. And you mentioned, uh, uh, obviously, the team performing well, but uh, people continuing to renew. And, and uh, we were talking earlier about why people are, are jumping on season tickets, and, and certainly a World Series appearance helps. But what do you see in terms of, of their response to coming back year after year once they get in the door because of team performance? Absolutely. We think that it's extremely important for our season ticket holders to get best-in-class service. So we've definitely devoted more attention and time to providing our fans, our season ticket holders, our most loyal customers, the service that they deserve. We've also spent a lot more time in creating unique experiences and events for our season ticket holders. You'll see some really great unique events in a, in a month um, or so coming up at Tribe Fest, which is exciting. We do a lot of uh, in-game events and experiences, but it's all about doing things that are unique and special for our season ticket holders so they feel more part of, of our organization and more part and connected to our, to our fans. I'm sorry, to our players. So here we are, holiday season. Someone listening to this saying, hey, season tickets, great idea. Wait a minute, there's 81 home games. That's a lot of baseball over the course of the summer. So uh, how do you to get around that and, and still have people – feel a part of it and get the best seats and things like that? How do you get around that? So we do have a number of different types of plans. We have 20-game plans. We have 40-game plans. Obviously, the most popular of all have been our 20-game plans, being able to um, offer our season ticket holders the ability to, to pick a days of the week that work for them and their schedule and, and pick out 20 games out of the year that, that will really um, make it more manageable for their time um, we have account executives that are that are here to help and walk you through that process. There's a number of different ticket plan products that we sell, and you can always call 216-420-HITS, and our sales account executives will walk you through any of those details. And if nothing else, you get to come down to the ballpark and at least take a look at seat locations? Absolutely. We're always welcome to get have people come down here, take a look at the seating locations, definitely have a test drive and, and make sure that the seats are, are, are what you're looking for. Tim Salser joining us, Indians VP of Sales and Service. All right, so there's the big season ticket, the 81-gamer, and now obviously the 20-gamers as well. But uh, sometimes holiday stocking stuffers, you're looking for something a little bit smaller. Still some time to get in on those six packs, which are a great value. 
Yes, the Tribe Six Packs are really exciting. We, we know that it's been a tradition in Cleveland to buy Cleveland Indians tickets during the holidays. I remember as a kid in the 90s going to the local grocery store and uh, putting on a wristband and waiting hours to, to just get access to tickets. We made it a little bit easier now. You can go on to Indians.com. We have six packs, Tribe Six Packs available. You can pick the day of week that works for you. We have Friday plans, Saturday plans, and Sunday plans starting as low as $99. And they include opponents such as the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Angels. So really an, an, an opportunity for, for our fans to, to engage with the team once per month. So there's six games spread out throughout the year, which is um, a great opportunity for them to, to be part of the action. And for fans who are wondering, it, being a season ticket holder, uh, the increases in attendance up over 2 million fans a year ago, it really does have an impact on the field, doesn't it, in terms of, of what the front office and Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff are able to do, doesn't it? Absolutely. The, the support of our fans is, is incredible. It has been a great run the past two years. And, and the good news is, you know, we still have a, a large core of our team coming back. And the engagement and the connection that our fans have with this team and being in this ballpark and seeing all the changes that have been made, it is a lot of fun, and it's great to see that you know they are really helping us to put a great team on the field, which you know we have definitely done that. And you know we always give great thanks to our season ticket holders and to all of our fans for supporting us. And there's nothing better than being down at Progressive Field surrounded by 37,000 Clevelanders uh, rooting on our, our Cleveland Indians. All right, Tim. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great holiday. Thanks very much, Jim. Great to see you. Happy holiday to you and your family. That's Tim Salser, Indians Vice President of Sales and Service. Indians.com slash tickets. Everything you need right there. Stay with us. We'll be back with our final segment of Tribe Talk, our weekly look back at 2017, our Game of the Week segment coming your way next on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Our final segment on this week's show, and as always during the offseason, that means a look back at the 2017 season with our Game of the Week. And we take you to Tuesday night, May the 30th, at Progressive Field. The Oakland Athletics were in town. The Tribe coming in, still hovering around that 500 mark at 26-23. and 23. Oakland at 22-28. and 28. And before we get to the meat and potatoes of this game, and it was a great game for Tribe starting pitcher Trevor Bauer, the series with Oakland featured a return to progressive field for outfielder Rajay Davis, who will ever forget 2016 Game 7 of the World Series, a game-tying home run that put the Indians on the brink of a World Series championship against the Chicago Cubs, one of the great home runs in the history of progressive field. And we had a chance to visit with Rajay Davis, who received a, a great hand after a, a small ceremony prior to the first night in town with the athletics. And uh, Rajay says he was appreciative of the fan support that is still there despite some time going by after his big home run. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, guy, the, 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 the fans remind me, um, especially the fans here and, you know, through uh, social media. Um, I'm, I'm truly thankful, you know, uh, you know, that they appreciate that moment. And I know you mentioned yesterday, you've said you watched it more times than, than you'd like to admit. Yeah. Do you get those chills that I think a lot of people do around here when, when you see it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think my son does, too, because he wants to watch it all the time. So <laughs> that's my excuse. Uh, Jordan Michael wants to watch it, so uh, 
I guess we have to watch it. <laughs> and I know specifically Josh Tomlin, Francisco Lindor, and I'm sure others have said it, it's one of their favorite baseball moments, and they've been playing for a long time. What does that mean to you when you hear that from some former teammates? I mean, it's, you know, it means, I mean, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, was trying to put us in a good position to help us win, you know, and to have that happen, it's something special. You know, I don't, I don't have any words um, to explain um, what that moment feels like. You know, um, it's just, um, it's just nice that people recognize, um, you know, a, a moment when they see it. That's Rajay Davis, one of the nice guys in the game of baseball. Now, heading into the ball game, the Indians were looking to get another good start from Trevor Bauer, who was actually off to a slow start on the season. His ERA in the month of April was up over six runs a game. And, in fact, in mid-July, his ERA was still 5.59. But visiting with Mickey Calloway, the Indians pitching coach, before the game, he said a couple of tweaks to the pace of Trevor Bauer's working habits had come into focus in their pregame preparation. It's something we've talked to Trevor about for years now is maintaining a good tempo. You know, he, he tends to shake quite a bit, you know, as, as most people can see. And sometimes that kind of affects, you know, him getting into the flow of the game. And, you know, when you're going fast and get to have a good tempo in between pitches, it usually leads to more athleticism in your delivery. <laughs> allows you your body to do what it wants to do and it also you know disrupts the timing of the hitter you know the last thing a hitter wants to feel is rushed when they're in the box and things like that so you know those that tempo in between pitches really pay, plays a big part in you know how well you pitch and and also it gets us on and off the field so we can come in and hit so that's Bauer getting ready to start against Oakland but things did not go well for him early he gave up a run in the second two more in the fourth, and it could have been worse if not for some help from outfielder Michael Brantley. Here's the pitch to Rosales. He swings, lines it on one hop, off the glove of Lindor, out into left field. Rounding third, heading for home is Healy. The throw by Brantley's a beauty, and he got him! Perez with the tag. Healy is retired at the plate as Michael Brantley throws him out from left field. So that saves a run. And retires the side. As it is, Oakland does score twice. But Brantley helps limit further damage. And we'll head to the bottom half of the fourth inning. Your score, Oakland 3, the Tribe nothing. In the bottom of the fourth, the Indians offense would get to Sonny Gray. Getting the scoring started was Edwin Encarnacion. Here's the 2-2. Swung on, line drive, base hit left field. Headed for third, being waved around is Lindor. He'll score without a throw. And Encarnacion comes through. The Tribe is on the board. It's now Oakland 3, the Indians 1. Coming into that plate appearance, Encarnacion was only 5 for 48 with men in scoring position. That's a 104 average that you figure will start to, to even out as the season goes along as he gets back to some of his normal numbers. And he comes through right there. And again, another good sign, just a good solid line drive. Not trying to hit it out of the ballpark if, if it's a tough pitch to do that on. And he lines one in the left field for an RBI single. And the next batter was red-hot Jose Ramirez. Here comes the payoff pitch. Swung on, yanked down the line, right side. Fair ball, it rolls into the right field corner. Rounding third, heading for home is Santana. He scores. Into third goes Encarnacion. 
And cruising into second with an RBI double, Jose Ramirez. The Indians are to within one. It's now Oakland three, the Tribe two. Then it was rookie Bradley Zimmer putting the Indians on top. Here's the pitch from Gray. Swung on, line right field. That gets down for a base hit. Skips to the wall. One run is in. Right behind Encarnacion is Ramirez. He scores. And the Indians are in front on the two-run double from Zimmer. What a turnaround here in the fourth inning as Zimmer, on the first pitch he sees from Gray, lines it past the right fielder, Joyce, and his two-run double is made at 4-3 Tribe. So at that point, Trevor Bauer was given a lead, and he would respond. The 3-2. Swing and a miss, strike three, and he strikes out the side. Lowry down on strikes, number eight for Bauer, and we'll head to the bottom half of the fifth inning. It's the Tribe 4, Oakland 3. Meanwhile, offensively, Jason Kipnis led off the bottom half of the fifth inning, and he liked what he saw on the first pitch from Sonny Gray. The right-hander back at it for Oakland, and here's his pitch to Kipnis, and he launches one high and deep right center field. Back is Davis. Home run, Kipnis. Number six for Jason Kipnis, and the Indians now lead it 5-3. It landed just in front of the bullpen area, clearing the fence. Davis gave it a look, but ran out of room. And the Indians continue this onslaught in the middle innings against Sonny Gray. Next up, Francisco Lindor, he drew a walk, stole second, and then Michael Brantley came through. One and two, the count on Brantley. Here's the pitch. Swung on, line drive, base hit in the left field. Headed for third, being waved around is Lindor. Davis throws into second. Lindor scores easily. That's an RBI single for Michael Brantley. And the Indians now lead it 6-3. to three. Boy, vintage Michael Brantley right there, just slapping it through the left side. Opposite field RBI single for Brantley, who now has 22 runs driven in on the season. The average up to 3.09. The Indians added one more in the fifth inning on a wild pitch to make it 7-3. to three. And then in the sixth inning, Bauer went back to work. One and two the count now on Matt Joyce. The set and the pitch. Swing and a miss. It's a moot point. Bauer has struck out a season best 11. And in the seventh, more of the same from Trevor Bauer. Rajay Davis leans back, takes a curveball for strike one. He thought it was inside. Bauer is one strikeout away from a new career high. The 0-1. Check swing. It was inside a fastball running at 97 miles an hour. Bauer's amped up, folks. Here's the 1-1 pitch. Swung on. Popped foul off to the right. One and two. Bauer one strike away from a new career high. 7-3 Indians. Seventh inning. The wine. The pitch. Swing and a miss. He got him with a curve. Bauer strikes out Davis. It's a career high. 14 strikeouts for Bauer. The last nine Oakland outs have been strikeouts. Stretch time at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. Cleveland seven. Oakland three. 
What a night for Bauer. And then in the bottom half of the eighth inning, Bradley Zimmer put the finishing touches on this one. Now the set. Now the 2-2 delivery. Swung on, hit a ton. Deep right field. It is way out of here. Bradley Zimmer stays on fire. A two-run home run to right. And there's the blow it open blast. Bradley Zimmer with his first four RBI game in the big leagues. Zimmer gets his second major league home run. And the Indians now lead it 9-4. to four. The next day, Tom Hamilton checked in with Tribe Manager Terry Francona, and they talked about the win and the dominant outing by Trevor Bauer. Tito talked a little bit about it on the broadcast last night, how, look, uh, Trevor Bauer's 26. Gord Kluber didn't win the Cy Young until he was 28. And sometimes we fans or those of us that are broadcasters forget how long it takes for maybe everything to come together. But when you watched what you saw last night, what in the world were your thoughts? Well, a couple things. One was, you know, they, they got up on us early three, and Sonny Gray was throwing the ball really well. And that's a guy that has given us fits in the past. I mean, you look at some of our matchups. You know, we had some one for eights, one for nines, oh for sevens, you know, because he's a good pitcher. Um, and he can be real tough on left-handers because of his off-speed. When we scored those runs, Trevor went out there, and you love to see your pitcher in a, in a shutdown inning. And by that, I mean, after you score, you want to shut that team down in the next inning. Well, the way he did it, he got aggressive. Shoot, he struck out the next nine of ten he faced, and he was just getting it and working quick and throwing it over and using all his pitches. And, I mean, you could tell he was getting more confident by the pitch. Shoot, his last pitch in the seventh thing was 97. I mean, he, but that was really good to see, and I, I'm guessing it was really good for him too. So there you have it, another in a long list of great games from 2017 as we continue our look back on a 102-win regular season. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Some special shows coming your way the next two weeks as we will be heard on both Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And if you do have the inclination to, to check us out and, and follow some things baseball talk-wise, we'll be happy to help you out in that regard with uh, shows next week and also New Year's Eve. So hope you can join us then. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you, you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic, Indians Radio Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.